Hey everyone, my name is Alan Smithson. Coming up next on the XR for Business podcast, we have Steve Bambury, founder of Virtualiteach. We're going to be talking about digital literacy, the uh, virtual augmented reality platforms, and the question on everybody's mind, what are the key barriers to adopting VR and AR in schools and how to overcome them? All this and more coming up next on the XR for Business podcast. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you? I'm good, man. It's good to speak to you. It's really great. The last time we saw each other, we were in Dubai, yeah. where you live, yeah. and you took me to uh, the Dubai Mall, and we went in and we went to the, the, the VR, VR park, park yeah. the giant VR park, and I was just blown away by how big and ostentatious everything was, and it was a really great experience, and I, I can't thank you enough for, for your warm hospitality in Dubai. But today, it's all about you. So let's talk about what you're doing and how did you get into this and what are you doing now? I've been in, I've been in Dubai for 11 years and for those 11 years, I've always worked at the same school. I was working at a school group here known as JESS, which is the acronym for Jumeirah English Speaking School, uh, also broadly referred to as JESS Dubai now. JESS is one of the leading schools in the Middle East. It's It's a very... Old school, uh, at least in terms of international schools in this region, you know, it's it's only, I think, four years or three years younger than the UAE as a country. So it's it's very well established. And yeah, so I, I worked there for 11 years. I worked as a class teacher in one of the primary schools and the curriculum leader, eventually become head of computing at the primary school. So I was teaching digital literacy and computer science uh, content to four-year-olds through to 11-year-olds. Um, and I, I ended up in that role primarily because of all the work that I've been doing to integrate the iPads in the classroom from 2011. We were one of the first schools in the Middle East to, to roll out iPads in the classroom. And then three years ago, I moved into a role that was created for me, which was the head of digital learning and innovation, working underneath the, the new director, Mark Steed, who'd just come in from the UK. Mark had the pedigree in, in terms of digital learning from the work that he'd done at this a very, very prestigious school in the UK called Berkhamstead. He'd also chaired the uh, independence um, digital strategy group for eight years there and so Mark created this role and this role took me out of the classroom most of the time uh, but a lot of it involved training with staff um, it also involved going back into departments and helping them with um, enrichment projects and it was kind of in parallel to that I mean part of the the reason that my, my work with virtual reality really took off is because I moved into this new role and had this freedom to to innovate and to to explore new technologies. My, my first VR headset was just a, a, a foam EVO headset that I imported from the States in, in 2014. But um, it was not long after I'd started this new role as head of digital learning at Jess that I got my first Vive. I, I took that Vive into the school and started looking for ways to, to integrate it into different curriculum areas. In actual fact, I've just recently started uh, writing a, a, a series of guest posts for vive on the on the vive blog you can go and like google like htc vive blog steve bambury or something you'll, you'll probably find them but um i've been writing a series of blogs about my journey using and integrating the htc vive headsets at jess the first one focused on all those initial trials that we run um, my, my actual my background is in film so before i was a teacher i, I worked in the film industry so I, i've always done a lot of film projects with kids so one of the things that i was doing throughout our journey with virtual reality was documenting all of the projects that we were carrying out i was capturing student voice i was capturing staff feedback and i think that was invaluable in terms of the, the success of our deployment of 
higher-end VR at Jess because it enabled me to then use these not only internally but also externally to promote the work we were doing at the school but internally it meant that I you know I had this evidence that there was definite impact in terms of the integration of this technology and, and the results that were, were were tangible when you were using uh, the vibes in, in the classroom and then from there you know that we ended up investing in more vibes we, we brought in asymmetric reality headsets as well you know, I, I ended up doing trials with the vibe focus and, and other hardware the one thing obviously that is already probably clearly missing from this mix is, is the word oculus um for those that are outside of the middle east region just for context uh oculus has next to no presence in the middle east at all the rift never launched here the go never launched here the quest has launched here but only in shops at a 100 percent markup price from the from the europe oh, wow. uh, us price so um it's been uh yeah I mean, Facebook are here, but but they, they don't seem to value the, the the region. So everything tends to be Vive um, with sort of the WMR headsets, it's sort of in in the wings somewhat. So yeah, so I, I did a lot of cool stuff with with VR and started becoming kind of known for the work that I was doing with VR. A couple of years ago, I set up Virtuella Teach as a platform to share best practice and share my ideas, my theory, my projects, and yeah. Broadly, that became all I ended up speaking about at conferences around around the region and internationally. Was I was becoming the, the VR guy? So um, <laughs> you are the yeah. VR. You're the VR education guy. So, so yeah, and 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 it it is something that I'm I'm really passionate about, and and it's something that I I I, I see the future of education in, in in terms of where spatial computing will will, will take us. Uh, it, it isn't just another gadget that schools need to consider weighing up buying into or not you know this is the evolution of computing in general so yeah so i i did that 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 role the, the head of digital learning for three years and you know at this point i'd worked for the company for 11 years and i, I kind of was looking for the next step and mark the, the director he was headhunted to go off to, to hong kong and, and work in hong kong which he now has um and so in, in parallel to that i decided to to strike out on my own and and set up my my consultancy which is broadly how i've spent my summer normally in the summer everybody leaves dubai because it's so ridiculously hot and you know there's so many expats here and like 80 percent of the country's expats so everybody leaves and, the, and the, dubai's a ghost town in the summer a very hot ghost town oh it's so hot oh my god i was there this summer and uh oh my so oh. So, uh, I'm, so i was stuck here this summer because i i had to deal with all the logistics and the paperwork of get my company license and my new visa and everything like that and yeah, and, and this is me now, a couple of months in, uh, working for myself for the first time in my life. I've set up my, my consultancy called Digital Inception. Anecdotally, the, the, the name refers to, it was actually the name of a remote keynote presentation that myself and my friend Luke Reese delivered in 2013, I believe, to the University of Southern California from, from here in Dubai using the Nearpod platform. And the, the presentation kind of rift on the movie Inception and, and the ideas from the movie Inception and the idea that if professional development's good enough that you're, you walk away and you feel like the idea was there all along and that you already knew it, it isn't something you've been preached. You've had something unlocked that was already within you. And I always kind of liked that title. I thought it was cool and, and it was fitting that I could, I could use it to encompass the work that I was going to be doing with immersive technologies, but also broad enough to encompass some of the other areas that I work with as I 
I'm an Apple Distinguished Educator. I do a lot of work with Apple technology. I'm a Microsoft Master Trainer, so I do a lot of work with Microsoft technology. So I needed something that was kind of broad to, to encompass all of those things. So yeah, that, that's where I'm at, man. <laughs> so you've done all of these things. You've been a pioneer. You, you also, uh, you do the CPD talks where you interview people. So by all intents and purposes, you are an expert. Well, I would say the world's leading expert on VR uh, and AR and education. And you also have Virtuality.Teach. What is that platform all about? Was that just a repository, a place for you to kind of store everything that you saw and then it became a website or how did, how, how did that happen? Yeah, kind of. So, so in 2012, when I was doing a lot of work with iPads in the classroom, myself and, and my friend Luke, who I mentioned just now, who also works at Jess with me and, and he's still at Jess, he's one of the deputy heads there. We were, you know, we were speaking at events and we were getting loads of people asking us questions and, and stuff. So we, we figured it would be a good idea to, to have a, a website where we could share our ideas and direct people to. So we set up a website called iPadEducators.com, which went on to win an award and it led to both of us becoming Apple Distinguished Educators. And, and Virtuality is, is, you know, the, the, the approach is broadly the same. Uh, both of these websites are completely not for profit. You know, I turned down advertising offers on a weekly basis. It's, it's never been about making money. It's, it's just about sharing best practice, which, you know, outside of the education industry, it, some people see as kind of weird, you know, like if you've got ideas, why are you not charging for them? But, you know, educators as a community, we've always been very, very much of the kind of pay it forward mentality, you know, like the, you, you, you share, you share what, you, what you're doing in it and, and, and we grow together. Um, I, to, to be honest, it, it was it was 2017, and my youngest daughter had been sick, and and so the the the, the summer plans were, were cancelled that year as well. And I essentially I was considering writing a book. Ironically, the book was going to be called Digital Inception, but I was going to write a book about all the stuff I was doing with virtual reality. But the more I considered the the time that I would need to spend writing a book, and and the the, the delay in this kind of gratification of sharing the content with other people uh, in the end I just I thought you know what let's just let's just put another website together because I can start putting content out quickly and I, I like to produce content writing a book by the time you write the book first of all it's obsolete second of all you can't keep it up to date so you know we're, we're struggling right now we're writing a book and two books uh, XR for business and XR for education and by the time they're finished, they'll be 100% obsolete. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, in fact, last year, in the end, I did put a book proposal together and submitted it through, uh, through a colleague to, a, to a, a publishing house. And that's basically what they come back to me and said. They said, look, we, we like your idea. But by the time we actually write this and we publish it, we're conscious of the fact that it, that it will be out of date. And, you know, to a degree, that's true of all books based on technology because everything's moving forwards. Yeah. So yeah, so that, that that's basically what the, the the website became about. Now I, I will give a little caveat to <laughs> to anyone that's listening around about the time that we're recording this, back end of October two thousand nineteen. So I, I, I with with everything that was going on with me setting up the company and and various other bits and pieces, I took a couple of months break from the website. And unfortunately, what's happened is um, the website's designed through Wix, and over the summer Wix have launched a new blog feature. And essentially, my website is entirely built, the entire structure of it is built around the old blog feature. And then I use custom feeds to pull, you know, theory content onto a page and Vive related content onto a page and guest articles onto a page. And it was all done with a tagging system, which has been made redundant with the change to their site. And essentially, I'm now in a position where I've got a load of new content ready to publish. But 
at the moment, I, I've got to find the time to, to go back and essentially re-label everything that I've ever posted, which is like 150 articles. I've got to manually go into all of them and, and uh, re-tag them. So my, my site's kind of sitting dormant at the moment, but um, it hopefully will be back on its feet before the end of the year because I do have a lot of, of new content ready to go on. Um, but uh, yeah, as I say, sadly, the, the old content needs to be re, retasked first and I need to do some, some uh, layout adjustments as well to, to, to fit the new, the new style that Wix have deployed. I'm on your site now and you, you've got, there's, this is like the compendium for anybody looking to do it and it's virtual teach, but virtual I teach. It yeah. also be. Yeah, that, that that tends to be what people say to me. You know what? When <laughs> when when I was um, when I was trying to come up with a name, I, and I, I'm just going backwards and forwards with different ideas, and I'd I'd been reading a lot around the theory of the virtuality continuum, and and I had obviously the the Curiscope virtuality, uh, you know, the augmented reality T-shirts where you can look inside the human body. And I was like, oh, virtuality teach. That's a really good play on words. And a couple of the people I said it to was like, uh, no, I don't use that. It's too confusing. And, and I was stubborn and I decided to stick with it. I like it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so Steve, on the uh, virtuality teach site, at the very top, there's a, an image of you sitting with a bunch of people, but you're in avatars. What's that all about? Where, what platform is that? So um, that's uh, one of the images from the CPD and VR events that I host. Uh, it's it's uh, Engage by Immersive VR Education. Uh, the, the guys that made Apollo 11 and Titanic VR. The funny thing is that uh, uh, people tend to think that I work for Immersive, um, which I totally don't. I've never worked for Immersive. I, you know, I've got a lot of love for these guys. They're, they're, they're great guys, and, and I work closely with them. But Engage just, you know, it just it just is the platform that I chose and continue to choose to use for my for my professional development events inside VR. So I, I kicked them off. Just before I launched the website in, in mid-2017, when I first got my Vive, I'd, I'd been lucky enough to have a sort of guided tour of the Engage platform from Dave Whelan, the CEO of Immersive VR Education, and was blown away. It was the first multi-user VR platform that I'd ever been inside. Uh, and it's obviously, especially back then, it was like the only one that was dedicated to education. And it, it was just it was just stunning. And I was conscious of the fact that schools weren't necessarily in a position to be harnessing this technology with a whole class full of students at that point and, and to, to a degree most most schools are still not right now but a lot of schools had begun to invest in maybe one or two of vibes or riffs or you know educators like me who were a bit techie had, had gone out and bought their own one so i decided in um june 2017 to to test the waters and and offer out this free professional development event uh inside virtual reality for clarity um one thing I, I hit quite often, just just like I hit the uh, the confusion with the virtuality name of the website in Europe and, and in the UK in particular, it tends to be referred to as CPD for continuing professional development. And quite often, I get American educators asking me like, "What's CPD stand for?" Because in the states, you tend to just refer to it as professional development or a PD. And you know what? After not, the birth not cardiopulmonary disease, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, or yeah, or some sort of yeah, some sort of medical procedure. But you know what? At the, at the end of the first year. I considered rebranding it to PD in VR. And at that point, even like American educators like Stephen Sato were, were saying to me, no, don't change it, man. Don't change it. It's, it's, it's got legacy now. And it, it, something about it, it just didn't sound right to change it. So we ended up just leaving it the same. But yeah, so I, I did that first session in June 2017. I actually delivered it three times in 24 hours to, to three different groups of educators, some of whom accessed via PC and some of whom were in headsets. 
obviously there's a, a limit and even more so back then a limit to the number of avatars that we could have inside the same virtual space and it was tons of fun you know despite all the obvious technical glitches that you face when you're at the tip of the spear so decided to start hosting them monthly and decided as well to start burying them up so i started doing some where i would deliver presentations normally you know virtual reenactments of presentations that i was doing locally here in the uae or in the, in across the middle east region at events but i also started hosting panel discussions and fireside chats and had some truly phenomenal phenomenal guests on building up to the one year anniversary show we did six hours straight last uh july opening wow. with alvin graylin from vive you know charlie fink was on and and bob fine and we had the whole virtual reality podcast crew were on there it's and... so funny you say that we've had alvin charlie and bob as yeah. guests. yeah um <laughs> so uh, around these guys yeah they do yeah yeah um so yeah uh, i mean beyond that you know I've, I've had guests from the bbc i've had guests from from hcc and and class vr and and all, all kinds of speakers uh, as well obviously as as educators and then after that first year we were trying to come up with a new idea for a, another kind of variation on it so i i kind of had this idea to host a chat show so I, I i do this live from dubai chat show format under the cpd and vr banner which i've, I've hosted about half a dozen of those and actually i'm in, in parallel to taking the little break with the website i also took a little break from the cpd and vr events but just did the kind of comeback show about two weeks ago which was uh, kind of laughingly or jokingly dubbed the, the season three premiere because this is the start of the third year of me doing them now and that was the live from Dubai format. I had uh, Steve Grubbs from Victory XR on, and and Dr. He's been on my show too. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Dr. Angelina Dayton, the, the, who the VR lady um, who does a lot of amazing work with the the Cherokee Nation and now the Navajo Nation as well, and uh, Suzanne Lee from Pivotal Reality up in Scotland, who who does some stunning work with uh, elderly people with dementia, and that kind of encapsulates my my approach when I'm doing the panels or the or now the chat show format as well is try and get a, a broad spectrum. You know, somebody said to me once, oh, why are you not just getting educators on? And, and you know, to me, there, there needs to be a lot more dialogue between developers and educators, and there needs to be a, a more open door approach to, to uh, helping developers understand what it takes to make something that's effective in, in the classroom, which is something I wrote about last year for VR Focus, you know, like my, my advice to, to developers if you're creating a, a, an educational app how is this actually going to work in a classroom setting it might you might make the most beautiful experience of all time but if, if i can't harness that effectively with a classroom full of kids then it, it, it's not something i'm going to to go back to it's not something i'm going to be able to integrate successfully in the classroom absolutely it's almost like you have two camps you have educators and then you have technologists or technology providers and you need both to deliver content in a way that that makes sense in schools and what are, what are you seeing as far as like adoption of this on a broader scale like is this something like if you looked at oh we're gonna have vr in every school is that in five years is that 10 years is that ever obviously uh, my my viewpoint is somewhat skewed because i'm based in dubai um i would underwrite that with just because i'm in dubai doesn't mean everyone's absolutely minted you know schools here don't necessarily have like endless piles of cash uh, just because we're you know based here in dubai like the, the jess group that i worked for was a not-for-profit organization as a lot of the older schools are so that there, there are obviously somewhat limited resources Ca uh, schools in general are very cash poor organizations and they're also 
reticent to to jump onto what can be perceived as bandwagons. That being said, I mean, at least here in, in the UAE, what I'm seeing is more and more schools dipping their toes in the water. Uh, a friend of mine works uh, in a kind of technology director role across a, a large school group in in Abu Dhabi here in the UAE. Um, and, you know, they've just rolled out the class VR solution across all of their campuses. Two of the schools that I'm currently working with through my consultancy that have already deployed class VR um, as a solution as well. Obviously, some of the schools have, have looked already into the, the higher end solutions like Vibes. And, you know, they've maybe invested in, in two or three. And, and another school that I'm working in, you know, they've already marked out a space specifically to be a VR lab, painted big murals of VR headsets and stuff on the wall. But they were conscious of the fact that they needed to to make sure that their their Office three six five deployment and the, you know that the kind of more day to day technology integration was 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 firmly deployed and you know um, all accounted for before they then look at how they're going to deploy and what type of VR they're going to deploy and a lot of it comes down to you know the the, the various frictions as 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 Alvin Graylin refers to them the the frictions of VR in education whether it be the cost or the the fear of adopting something that is outdated within a year or the you know the health and safety concerns and various things like that that they're potentially holding schools back right now um i think cost is a huge one especially when you you, you know the the pcvr solutions rely on if see let, let's let's lay out the factors here and how in order to be kind of useful to people listening what are some of the major major factors kind of hindering the adoption and what are some of the steps that that schools and, and school groups can do to overcome that? Okay. I'm going to cheat here and I'm going to open my ah. website in front of me <laughs> because um, one of the, one of the uh, presentations that I did at, uh, at the, the biggest education event in the region. Uh, so the, the, the biggest education event in, in the Middle East is, is an event called Guest Dubai which uh, guess is a global brand now, you know, they've got events in, in South America and Indonesia. Uh, and I've got a great relationship with these guys. I've presented there for probably about seven, eight years now. Uh, and this year I actually hosted a, a whole VR stage for three days straight. We did a load of tilt brush demos and hands-on workshops cool. and stuff. But my, my kind of, um, my keynote presentation, you know, my prestige presentation, I always try and give them something brand new, some sort of theory content was this, session around the the five key barriers to vr adoption in schools and how to start breaking them down and uh and i've since published this on my site uh back in march so if you go on virtual teach you can you can access this it's v v i r t u a l i teach t e a c h dot com scroll down about halfway the page the five key barriers to vr adoption in schools and how to start breaking them down go steve you like, you like my wrecking ball graphic. <laughs> I love it. It's amazing. So, right. So number one, lack of understanding. Okay. The, the simple fact that people just don't really understand what virtual reality is and what it can do. And, and I think paired with that, there was that, I can't remember who published it, but there was a really interesting article early, earlier in the year. I'm sure you read it, Alan, about whether or not in the long run, the Google Cardboard did more harm to the VR industry than good because it, was a brilliant entry level device, but it, it that then contained what people's perceptions of what virtual reality was capable of, and and you know I, I've had so many people that you know you put a vibe on them for the first time, and, and the the words that come out of their mouth, I've heard the same sentence multiple times. I didn't even know this was possible, 
And that's partly because yeah. people's understanding of VR is I can look around a 360 image. I can potentially look around a 360 video. And that misconception that's been built through the use of mobile VR, it, it kind of needs to be unpicked. And you cannot explain virtual reality. It's experiential technology. You've got to put people in the headsets. And particularly in schools, you, you've got to put people in the headsets who are... The, the you know they're the the game changers they're the, they're the the people that have the the sway to to actually implement change so you know one of the first people that I stuck the headset on was was Mark Steed who I mentioned before who was the director of the school you know, he's a he's a I mean we were blessed in that Mark was the director and he's very 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 tech savvy guy and and he, and he's open to to new technologies you know I I, I stuck Mark on on the plank. As, as I want to do for most people that come to me and want to try VR for the first time, stuck him on the plank. You know, there's a guy with three master's degrees and, and he couldn't walk out on it. You know, <laughs> two years later, he, he was, wrote a blog article for the Tez uh, in the UK about, about that experience and how much that affected him and how that moment made him realize the power of medium in general because he had that visceral emotive reaction to it, which is not something he'd ever experienced from a different form of technology before. It's interesting that you, you, you talk about that particular one because we're, we actually built a, um, uh, a training scenario where you're in a warehouse and you have to go across a beam and turn off a power supply. Yeah. And when we built it originally, the beam was three feet across and you were maybe 20 feet off the ground and you just, it wasn't scary at all. We decreased the beam to one foot, increased the, the height to 30 feet and wow, it is terrifying. And everybody who goes across it is just like tiptoeing across. And it, it's this, this mind melt because you're walking across something you know you're safe because yeah. you're in a room, but yeah. your brain just can't comprehend the fact that you're 30 feet in the air. It, it just has no, you can't decipher between reality and not. And it, at that point, when in our particular uh, instance, you actually fall. You don't fall. You just kind of you fall, and then it goes black, and you start over again. And then it says, yeah. "Don't forget to put your safety gear on." And it's in that <laughs> moment where you're like, "Man, I will never ever forget to put my safety gear on again." Yeah, you know, Definitely. terrifying people. And, it turns out is very good education <laughs> from the psychology point of view. The one thing that I've seen again and again and again as well, which I, I remember reading Jeremy Balinson's book, Experience on Demand, and and in that first. I think it's the first chapter where he's talking about putting Zuckerberg on the on the Planck experience at Stanford, and but he refers to something that I'd I'd seen in person myself: the fact that you can have a group of people standing there watching someone doing the Planck experience and laughing at them and go, like going like, "Oh, what's wrong with you? You know it's not real." Blah blah blah. And then they put the headset on themselves, and even though they've seen it from a third person perspective, once they are in it from a first person perspective, the subconscious takes over and their their reaction to it is is completely their own it doesn't matter that they've already seen somebody else do it one of the in, in fact one of the early um sessions that we did with the first vibe that i got which if you go um, and you can find it on my site um if you scroll right 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 back to the to the earliest articles it's one of the first ones on there but also the video uh, is uh linked on that that five blog that i mentioned earlier on so i took the plank experience into the sixth form psychology department at jess and along with my friend, uh, Dr. Joseph Bell, who's one of the psychology professors there, we, we put a lot of 16, 17, 18 year old students through the Planck experience. And we, we captured footage of them uh, going through the experience as well as their reflections afterwards. And, and Joe, 
provided some commentary in terms of what was happening from a from a psychology perspective and it was absolutely fascinating that the other thing in terms of that that i find fascinating is that and i wish i was talking to dr sarah jones the other day because she's uh, she's writing a book about vr as somebody i've known for a number of years and i was saying to her i wish i had carried through with this idea that that joe and i had to, to do with this study because i broadly find that more adults can't do the plank than kids kids will walk out on that plank generally with not a fear in the world whereas adults that there's always there's a good proportion of adults that just cannot do it you know my dad is a builder he does loft conversions, so he takes people's lofts or the attics whatever you want to call them and he turns them into additional rooms he spent his life on roofs you know he's spent his life climbing up ladders and walking across roofs couldn't do that plank experience at all couldn't do it wow which i found fascinating that's um, weird yeah makes no sense yeah, yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, steering back towards what we were saying about the 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 kind of barriers. The the second one that I covered was the was the cost and the the ROI, the return on investment. Uh, and we kind of touched on this already. The idea that you know schools are reticent to to invest in technology that they potentially see as you know just another thing. And you've got lots of different vendors and companies trying to hawk their wares, so to speak, you know, STEM's massive now, you know, everybody's like, do we need to buy robots or do we need to buy 3D printers or do we need to buy VR content? And I think the difference, as I, I kind of touched on before, is that this is, we're not, we're not talking about just another gadget when we're talking about augmented and virtual reality. We're talking about the, the evolution of computing. Uh, we're talking about the, the change in the way that technology is interacted with full stop. And if you, if you look at that article, you'll see an image that, I painstakingly sourced from from Google for the, the original presentation, which is a, a, a group of students from the, I think it's from the 80s, staring at this single PC, which, you know, this was the experience that I had initially when I was in primary school. Uh, you know, there, there was like one computer in the school and it was on a cart and it was wheeled in to kind of ooze and ah, and, you know, because the magical computer's here. And it I'm not going to ask how old you are, but I still remember the first time I went to the, <laughs> the library and there was three Mac computers. It was like, yeah. wow. <laughs> so <laughs> Atari's awesome. and stuff. Um, you know, and, and this, but I specifically chose this image because I think this is the, the fear of a lot of schools is that, well, we're going to buy, we can only afford one, we'll buy one and then we'll end up with, like the whole class sitting around watching one person interact with it my counter to that is no you won't because as as educators we now understand better you know pedagogy has evolved and we understand that that isn't what you should be doing with technology you shouldn't have a group of kids all sitting around watching one person interact with the technology and there are so many more ways you know we have evolved in terms of our use of of, of technology in the classroom our, our understanding of digital learning has evolved so much especially since the advent of of tablets and the first deployments of ipads in the classroom we've learned new ways to to integrate limited amounts of technology you know and and i've explored bunches of different ways where you know i've maybe had half a dozen mobile VR headsets deployed for an activity in parallel to a Vive or a mixed reality headset. I've, you know, paired work where students are not just taking turns, but they are specifically paired for a reason so that they are, you know, one person's the hands in the physical space and the other person's the, 
immersed in in, in the virtual uh, experience. Um, so you know that that was kind of my my counter to that. Paired paired with that is the other one that we mentioned before was this this rate of change fear and the graphic that you see on the site there, which I, I always give a shout out to my my sadly dearly departed friend uh, Chris Long, who who died earlier this year. Chris originally showed me this um, this graphic of Martech's law. He it was during the um, the one year anniversary event for the CPD and VR. He delivered a presentation. And this was part of it. And, and it was one of those uh, graphics where I saw it and I was like, this makes perfect sense. How have I never seen this before? And I've started using it in a lot of presentations. I I'm now. actually stealing this for my presentations. Yeah. So thank for, you, Chris. anyone that's listening and, and isn't looking at the graphic right now, if, if you want to find it, it just type in MarTech, which is M-A-R-T-E-C, MarTech's law, and you'll, you'll find variations on this, this graphic. Essentially, the premise is that because technology changes at this this rapid pace, this exponential rate, but organizational change tends to be slower. What happens is that the the gap between the two increases over time. And ultimately, if a company sits and procrastinates for too long, the the gap between the, the, the state of technology and the, the organization and their use of technology becomes so large that a, an organization can actually need like a full reset um, you know, and you, you've seen this. I mean, you, you see it in organizations all the time. Like it might mean that they have to lay off a whole bunch of staff. It might mean that they need to source a huge chunk of investment to catch up. And this was something that I really learned. I mean, I learned so much working for Mark Steed in terms of digital strategy and, and vision. You know, he came into Jess, which was, you know, incredibly ahead of, ahead of the time in terms of technology use in the classroom but you know he came in and was like well look you've got no refresh cycles built in for your tablets you, 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 or your whiteboards or this you, there's no standardization and, and that was that was what he he ended up bringing to Jess was a, a much better strategy and a, a much better plotted roadmap in terms of technology integration at the school and you know where the school was at and where the school was going so then the fourth one the fourth barrier to the VR adoption um, the fourth common thing, because just for context, again, this this piece, this this article, this presentation was was based on the conversations that I'd had both at Jess and with other educators worldwide, and with people that have been using VR and and their feedback in terms of the barriers that they were hitting. So you know, this this wasn't me just plucking these out of thin air. This this was based on the kind of common concerns that were being thrown at educators you know that people will come into me and say like i'm getting i'm being asked about this what do i say um and health and safety concerns is obviously uh, something that was, was was coming up quite a lot you know is vr safe for kids how long should they use it for won't it hurt their eyes you know what age should, should kids start to be interacting with vr you know i wrote a piece off the back of the, the common sense media report contesting some of the data that they used in that because you know that they were talking about content concerns you know concerns about saying that parents had concerns about you know sexual content or violent content in vr okay you know i can understand that concern yeah uh yeah you've got an infinitely higher probability of finding that type of content on youtube which you know the same parents have got their kids are sitting on their phones um, with unrestricted access to youtube because they haven't got parental restrictions set up uh, so i thought that was somewhat ironic you know too much time with VR is, is bad for you. Well, too much time with anything is bad for you, you know? <laughs> it's, it's like me saying eating too many cakes is bad for you. Or, you know, 
if I, if I read a book for six hours straight, I'm going to get eye strain. Too much of anything, you know, an educated person would, will tell you that too much of anything is, is, is bad for you. Social isolation is another one that was coming up. And, you know, and, until we get into that, that place where the, the social multi-user VR experiences are more common, I think that, you know, there's, there's some credence to that. It, it, it's obviously a very insular thing when you've got a headset on, and, you know, if you've got a room full of people. Yeah, but it, to be honest, my, my kids have unlimited access yeah. to VR and they, I mean, we've got a quest, we've got vibes, we've got, you know, HoloLens magic, we have all the toys and they don't want to go in it. And they, when they go in it, they want to go in with other people. They want to be in social yeah. VR, which is, it makes sense. You're playing Beat Saber or something, but it's really great when you're with other people in the engage platform or these types of things. So I, I think social isolation. So that's really hard to say. Isolation. Social isolation. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting straight, but like, these are things that like, I, I pulled out from the, from the common sense media. Now, report. the next one in, in here is the health concerns of bumping into something. That is actually probably uh, one of the ones that I think is actually could be a problem. I mean, if your dog walks into the room when you're in, you know, when you're in VR and you trip on the dog or, you know, hit a table. I've seen people get punched in the face. Yeah, I mean, uh, right, devil's advocate. I mean, I approach this from from an educator's perspective, um, and and this is, you know, if you if you want my my take on the the common sense media report, um, that that article is in depth uh, breakdown of the whole report, and my my response to it is is there on the site, and if you look in the theory section, you find that uh, yeah, thirteen percent have bumped into something, and my response mm -hmm. is, of course they have. If you're not watching kids. And they've got a VR headset on. Of course, they're going to bump into stuff. I've I've had kids using, I've had kids using mobile VR headsets where there is no, you know, the three degrees of freedom headsets where they can't move anyway, and they still stand up and and start walking. You know, you, you have to you have to monitor kids using this kind of technology. If you don't monitor them, then yeah, of course they're going to bump into things. But I, I've used VR headsets. I've used VR headsets with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids and. I've never had a kid bump into anything because I control the situation. You know, you, you there, you don't just stick them in a vibe and then walk off and make a cup of tea. <laughs> it's interesting. We, we had an event a couple of days ago and we was, we just got, Oh, this was, uh, I guess two months ago. We had a, just got the Oculus quest and we had an event and people were playing the, the sword fighting and it was our fault. We didn't put a barrier around them, but somebody walked by as they were swinging, got punched right in the face. And I was like, Oh geez, that, that happened. But that was our fault for not putting a barrier around the person, a physical barrier around the person, even though they have a digital one. So when the person inside didn't know, it just was our fault. And it was only, we normally, because we use the vibes, we normally set up a stanchion so that people can't get in to the person. But because the quest was so new and we didn't know, we just, put them in a room and assume that nobody would walk near them. <laughs> Somebody's swinging their arms around like an idiot. You're not going to, you would think people would walk near them, but that happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one, I mean, one very low cost solution that I've seen people start to implement is, you know, they, they, they bring in and you can actually buy like ones that are marketed as specifically for virtual reality now, but like they essentially put mats of some kind on the floor, you know, and then if you get students to, you know, take their shoes off you, you you've got a very simple haptic there haven't you you know you know i can feel that i've stepped off of the mat so therefore I, I i need to stop and obviously making sure that you've got your your whether you call it your guardian or your chaperone you know you've got that that, that set up 
uh, properly. I really like with I really like with the quest, obviously, the way that the the pass through camera kicks on once you step outside the Guardian, because that really does, you know, it it draws that that full stop. You know, this I'm I'm outside of my space. But again, little things like you know, if you're drawing, you're marking a Guardian, you're marking a chaperone. Don't take it right to the very very limits of the space that you've got so that it's it goes right next to a pane of glass or right next to a, a solid brick wall you know give yourself a kind of a border so that you know if, if somebody does get lost in the moment and you're happen to not be watching them that, that you know that they've got that kind of that leeway you know that, that, that little bit extra more you know i mean I, we could do a whole podcast just around this kind of vr and health and safety and stuff with kids but uh, you know a lot of it it comes down to it comes down to common sense ironically considering this was a, a lot of its response to the common sense media um you know it comes down to common sense it comes down to limiting the the lengths of experiences and limiting uh, obviously moderating the types of experiences that you're using with students and you know one of the things that mark and i started before we both left jess and and we you know once once we're kind of the dust has settled in in both of our um, moves we, we do hope to pick up was we were trying to put together a a kind of white paper and and look at sort of length you know cr creating a, a an actual formal approach to like right so what age would you potentially start using a, a google cardboard with a, with a student and how long would that experience maximum last and what what, what about a windows mixed reality headset and what about a vive you know and again like if, if i'm working with a 13 year old you know what would be the recommended maximum length of an experience because if you know, like especially with something like tilt brush, I've I've seen it happen. You know, you you, you stick a kid in, in something like tilt brush, and they just they get lost in that world. And you pull a kid out and say, well, "How long do you think you've been in there?" And they'll say, oh, "About five minutes." And you say, "Oh, you've actually been in there 20. Time dilation is a proven fact in VR. Actually, uh, the time dilation. I was reading a study on this uh, early on, and the time dilation can be as much as 25% that people think they're in uh, VR a lot shorter than they actually are. And one of the things that you can actually do to completely mess with people is you can put a virtual clock inside VR that, that moves slower than real time, and you can actually increase that to about 50%. So people think they're in for an hour, and they're in for uh, two. <laughs> yeah. I've not heard of that done before. I like that. That's nice. So then the last one is, you know, it's kind of the biggie from my point of view is the, is the benefits to learning, you know, ultimately as someone who's worked for a long time now with, with various forms of education technology, there's got to be benefits to learning. There's got to be some point to deploying this technology. And, you know, when I, when I first started doing the stuff I was doing with, with the, the high end VR in early 2017, you know, the, the kind of party line for myself and, you know, other pioneers like Jamie Donnelly and Stephen Sato, you know, it was like, well, there hasn't been enough studies yet. There hasn't, there isn't, an, you know, the, the jury's out kind of, but with two years on and the, the jury is starting to come in now and we, you're starting to see more and more evidence coming from all, all corners of the world. You know, like it, there's, there's all kinds of data that you'll see there on, on, the, on the article on the site, you know, from Beijing University and Warwick University and you know cornell and stanford you know that there's all these studies taking place showing that you know vr is more engaging than um than other traditional forms of media that it leads to significant retention of learning the the one that came out alvin grayland tagged me in a tweet last week there was a, a new study from a, another university in china 
looking at using. Yeah, I saw that too, but I, I asked him for the study. I didn't get it yet. No, I haven't seen the actual study, but you know, like with statistics, looking at language learning in, in VR. And then from, from a theoretical point of view, I then started thinking about some of the kind of big, the big theoretical educational models. And the one for me over the last kind of decade that has, has become very prevalent is is the the Samir model from Ruben Puntadera. Um, and this is this has kind of become like the, uh, you know, if you're playing ed tech bingo at conferences, you know, like the, the first thing that you would put down on your bingo card would be the Samir model on, on a slide because, you know, you can't, you can't get through an, any sort of ed tech presentation these days without somebody going, going into the Samir model and talking about the different levels of Samir. And what I, you know, when I was putting this presentation together, this is the first time I'd actually looked at Samir for a while. And, and this is the first time I'd ever looked at it with specifically with my with my VR head on and you know like for those that maybe don't work in the education industry and aren't familiar you know Samir is this kind of two-phase four-step model created by Dr. Ruben Puentadera it is specifically about technology integration in the classroom the the lower phase the the uh, the enhancement phase has the two steps of the lowest step is substitution where technology acts as a direct substitute, you know, type something on word rather than you handwrite it. Then it goes augmentation, you know, so your technology is still a, a direct substitute, but you know, but you act, additional functional improvements. So you, you're using a digital thesaurus, you know, you know you're adding in uh, a, a clip art image or something simple. Uh, and then the second higher phase is, is the transformation phase, which is has the modification and ultimately redefinition. And the, the idea being that you're moving towards uh, using technology to create new tasks and, and 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 access content in ways that was previously impossible, you know. So obviously, if you take the lowest level, using that analogy of like a you know like a, having to write something, you know, the lowest level would be just I type it on Word instead of handwriting it, and you know, the highest level might be that I collaboratively write something on a Google Doc and then we post it to a a blog or a wiki, and then we take live feedback from people from around the world. Uh, you know, that's that's me redefining that task using technology. And when I looked at this with through the VR goggles, pun intended, when I looked at it with, with my VR kind of uh, mindset, what I found interesting was that, you know, it, it's like a it's like a leapfrog because I, I, I can't see any instance where VR is is being used for things like substitution. Because by, by its very nature, because of the experiential nature of, of all VR applications, you know, you're, you're automatically giving students the ability to do things that they've previously never been able to do before. You know, whether that's painting with light or, you know, defying gravity with the way that you build a sculpture in tilt brush or flying around the world in, in Google Earth or stepping back in time in the Titanic experience or... It, it, it's it, it's a transcendent technology in, in a way that you know other technologies have not offered before and, and i thought that was that was quite telling i'm actually at the moment working towards something working towards finishing something that i started actually in early 2018 so nearly two years ago i started looking at vr and another very famous uh, education theory which is bloom's taxonomy and 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 Chris Long, obviously, who is sadly no longer with us, uh, and myself and uh, my friend Alex Johnson in India and Stephen Sato, we, we were all kind of kind of informally looking at this on a shared document and we were going backwards and forwards with it and it, it kind of got 
put on the back burner a few times and and then chris long and i dived back into it and uh you know maybe uh six months later and and we we really thought that we had something there something interesting something somewhat controversial but interesting nonetheless and then it it, it went back on the back burner but but now i, I kind of feel like I, I i need to finish that i need to to get that published not least because it was it was kind of the last thing the last project that i was working on with with, with chris and I, i'd like to see that through to completion yeah so this is hopefully going to be a, a 2020 i think at this point will be when i'm looking to publish that because as i mentioned earlier i've got to rebuild my entire website before i can publish anything anyway well steve i i i mean there's so much we can talk about it's been really amazing to to listen to these uh, you are one of the world leaders in this so thank you so much for joining us today thank you alan it's always a pleasure Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, -on one-hour -one, one call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.